everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch. Today, I am so thankful and happy we get to introduce Dr. Steph Fry Clark, the Associate Professor of Tuba at East Tennessee State University. Hi. Glad to be here. So, we're just going to have a conversation. We usually talk about everything and anything that's happening in our lives pertaining to music, and let's just kick it off by telling everybody who you are and how you got to where you are now. Sure. That's, <laughs> that could be a, a two minute thing or a famous state professor of tuba and euphonium at East Tennessee State University. Uh, I have been here about eight years, eight or nine years. And um, I did my uh, graduate work at the University of Wisconsin, undergrad at U- Lawrence University, where I actually have degrees in both tuba performance and uh, actually another d- complete BA in biology. So that's a little bit about me. And so, yeah, I've been down here in East Tennessee for, for a number of years now, but I'm originally from the Midwest. Nice. I'm I, from Michigan. I mean, biology, music. How did those two cross and how was your life? I mean, I was a double major in choral and, and instrumental education and that was already like max credit hours <laughs> going crazy. Yeah, but you had yeah. a completely different degree, different world kind of. So like, how was that for you? I, I mean, they don't, they didn't connect at all, obviously. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, there probably is a way I could have made them connect, but they, they didn't really. And I... The, where I did my undergraduate degrees, um, Lawrence, they offer a double degree program. So I was able to do a BA and a BM, a BA in bio, a BM in music performance in, in five years. So it's, it's like a, they have it set up so you can complete both. And all, all along, I thought I was going to go the, the pre-med. I was pre-med. I was going to go the med- medical school route. And then it was in my, like, into my fourth year, I realized that I was really hating all of the classes I was taking. Um, and so I sort of switched to more environmental science at that point, but finished the biology degree. But uh, really what switched, I mean, all along, music was really what I was more interested in, more passionate about. And um, I it was a lot of a lot of folks telling me earlier on in life that music was not something I should pursue for a variety of reasons, whether it was my ability level or, oh, well, there's just no options in music. Um, so I, I made the, the decision to do both just to keep music in my life. And it was at that point when I realized how much I was disliking the, the other stuff. So I was like, well, let's give this a try. Yeah. I'm going to continue with the masters and see where things go from there. So you see that happen a lot. I I was I came in as a music education major because I was like I'm gonna be a band director because all my band <laughs> hit the second year and I was like I hate woodwinds specifically woodwinds they just make me mad. I would throw my baton at them besides Lauren of course uh, she's a beautiful flute player and I love her but like every other part, I'm like I will throw my baton at you let me not do this and I switched to performance and so I'm glad you realized like in your undergraduate degree that's like oh maybe this ain't happening but anthony and i were talking like last night six hours ago um that uh people go into the music degrees just right away sometimes without never having lessons or music theory knowledge and they get bombarded for the first two years because you're doing history theory RO skills lessons like literally overload and then people leave and hate music yes 
Oh, yeah. So we were talking about these two-year colleges that are all over the world, all over the United States, that don't have music programs, but would be perfect for someone to dip their toe. Yeah, that's the point. So, yeah, that's crazy that we have to go through. We have such an intense degree, like biology as well, um, that people sometimes leave within the first year or two. And just like, peace out, Girl Scout. I'm not doing this no more. Have you, um, with your students at East Tennessee, have you, over your career um, teaching, have you kind of witnessed um, a change in mindset or or your students, are they still 100% invested? Because I know um, nowadays students are from like middle school. They are like, you have to be good at this. You got to be good at this. You got to be this sport. Then you have to do this band. Then you have this lesson. And then you have to do this. Like they just have, they're just bombarded with thousands of amount of things. So then when they get to college, like, are they still focused on, on what they, what they want or or is it kind of just, you know, open to whatever, um, what has been like your experience with that? This school is a little bit, it's a little bit different than I, I think, especially the schools that I went to. And it was a bit of a learning curve when I got here for myself in that, uh, oh, the background in terms of their parents obviously their parents didn't go to college so there's less understanding as to what that means when they get here uh, what college actually entails in addition I find that these students just due to the backgrounds that they we get a lot of regional students as well so a lot of Appalachian students they don't necessarily uh, they're not as involved as like in the ways like that you were just describing in um, like a million different activities. Like they're, they're pretty, they're, whether they're, they're going to high school, they maybe do a, a high school sport or maybe are in band and then have a job. Um, most of the students here are also working to anywhere from 20 to 40 hours a week on top of being in school full time. So it's, it's different in that I don't really find it's a matter of, an issue of them being focused because they've been doing so many other things, but simply because they're so busy trying to also still help their families at home and you like get through the day-to-day life so um and i lauren um has uh, she wanted to ask if did you ever consider music therapy you know combining music and the biology degree or the science degree in general um and going into that field I actually did uh, for a while when I was in earlier in my undergrad. That was something I was interested in. I think there were a couple of things that deterred it back. I mean, this was I was in my undergraduate degree 15 to 20 years ago. So back at that point, there really weren't that many options in terms of music therapy programs. I know they're a lot more prevalent now. Um, and I think the other aspect of that was I was so turned off by the time I got to the end of finishing up my biology degree that I just had no I didn't want to I wanted to get as far away from it as possible so you know I I decided to go get a master's in performance just to I think really try my hand at at that I know because nowadays a lot of and I'm I'm super glad that this is becoming a bigger field is music therapy because 
um, it is really helpful and, and useful. Um, and I think uh, some people may may believe that music therapy is only for, you know, the older people of the world yeah, yeah. and things like that. But music therapy can literally be for anyone. Um, so I'm glad to see that that field is, is you know, becoming yeah, bigger definitely. Um, in the past couple of years. Um, but also I, I want to, your experience as a tuba professor or as just a tuba student, did you ever go through any of that and experience feeling discriminated against? Because as a person, for me, you know, growing up for, um, I was a brass player. I played euphonium. Woo me. Um, that was not the <laughs> instrument that, you know, I, I was supposed to play or maybe not supposed to, you know, be on that instrument. So I, I got a lot of that. So did you ever experience that growing up? Sure. Uh, in very, very short answer, yes. Uh, on and off kind of my entire life and career really up and still present today. Um, and it's been a different form. So when I was when I first started playing um, as a young person, even my like parents who didn't, you know, didn't quite understand why I want to would want to play like the tuba, for example. Um, like that was something that and I, I give my, my mother a lot of credit in that she asked our neighbor who is a, an amateur trombonist played in the local symphony. Uh, you know, my daughter really wants to play the tuba, but she's like four foot ten and 90 pounds. Oh. And is this really a good idea? And his response was, if that is what she's interested in then that is what needs to happen because that's where you know that that's what that's what's going to hold their interest and so i i give her credit for asking i give him credit for answering in a in a super helpful way so but yeah as you know life has gone on i yes definitely uh through different i'll say organizations that our instruments are uh and i'll be really blatant like through ita uh there has been some some elements of discrimination or harassment that have gone with along with that, um, and just you know the, it's innocent to a point. But like I'll be out with I play with the Marari Brass Quintet and we'll be out performing, and it's mostly older men that you know are they'll see me with the instrument and the question always is without fail like how does why does the smallest person play the biggest instrument or how can you handle that or um why did you pick that don't you wish you played the flute nothing against the flute <laughs> um, and you know just just questions that are that are innocent but and you know after a while they kind of pile up uh most recently i'd say the most i've, I've faced really more directly has been since I moved here. Um, East Tennessee is the South. And in addition to, well, in addition to being, when I first down, was moved down here, I identified as a woman, as, as a cisgender woman. And, uh, and then I've transitioned since then to uh, identifying more as genderqueer, non-binary. And that combined with also uh, I, came, I came out down here as um as queer and, and also marrying a woman and those things have made i'll say it's significantly harder to do things like recruit um mm -hmm. parents don't want to send 
their children to study with me. And band directors don't want to send their their students to ETSU. So it's it's been interesting in that regard. You know, I had a student once tell me that decided to come here um, that his mother wanted him to transfer out. Well, actually, now he identifies as they wanted them to transfer out after one semester because his, their mother saw me in our studio recital and said, you know, like, uh, made a basically a, a tr uh, derogatory remark about trans people and said, you can't stay there. And he said, well, actually, you're not paying for my school, so I'm going to stay here. But, you know, I think our, my studio has, as a result, there's been a reflection of that in a way um, about, I'll say two thirds, maybe even three quarters of the studio is queer in some way here, which is a large number for, especially in, in East Tennessee. So right. I, I think in some ways that's, you know, it's a, it's, I'm sure that's a reason why some of these students are coming here because it's a safe, safe space. So oh, that, that is awesome. Especially like in, in the brass world, sometimes there's not a lot of open people that we can look up to and be like, oh my God, you're like me, we're yeah. like each other. Let me come study with you. Like in Georgia, like I know when I was teaching freelance teaching and stuff, there would be complaints about my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They would call it lifestyle complaints because that's the <laughs> easiest way to say it without saying it. really it. affects how I teach the trumpet, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. like, oh, I'm going to tell them that the way you, yeah. So it was, it was, it was sometimes hilarious and other times it was like, you're really, you brought me out to this one city that I don't want to come to, but I came to do a little trumpet camp. Yeah. And then they were like, yeah, he's a, his lifestyle is a little weird. <laughs> we all know what you, it's tw like, even when I was an undergrad, it was like 20, we went through 2016 to 2020. Lifestyle doesn't mean what it used to mean. You used to be able like low key with it. Now everybody yeah. knows what it means. And it's been quite challenging. And then like sometimes like it took me a while through undergrad to be like, okay, who I am, whatever, screw it. Um, and now I just don't care anymore. If you don't want to hire me, don't hire me. And I think yep. Anthony's always been like that. So he's been like a beacon and Lauren as well. And they have had to face struggles that I will never understand and know. Yes. And it's been great. Like this kind of platform, like relative pitch, we've talked about that a lot. Yeah, And talked about how, great. like, what do we have to go through? And one thing that brings up with you is last year during COVID kind of still, we're still in COVID. It, people think it's gone, it's still not. <laughs> it's not gone. It's vital. You get through the queer lens. And I caught that because I remember I first met you at Kennesaw. Marari yeah. Brown came down. It was great time. I played Ewald one horribly. It was a And it was cool because y'all did stuff like Haitian Fight Song, a lot of jazz. Alex Nob was still in the group. There was a lot of his. Because we have American Empire, the big ones, the big staples, and they're pushing it. And y'all are pushing it in a different way, both through arrangements and commissioning new works by, like, hey, we're going to open for anybody to apply uh, the consortium project commissioning thing that y'all did with prize money. Great. And like those kind of things. But I want to yeah. talk about the uh, music through a queer lens. What? Why did you do that? What was the whole thought process? How did it come sure. To so. When, and I'm gonna back up just one step from that. When I was in my uh, doctorate, 
I made a decision pretty early on that I, I wanted to focus my dissertation around women composers. Uh, mostly, it had to do with underrepresentation, and I wanted to bring forward composers that maybe people hadn't heard of, but really should be hearing of. And the CD I that uh, but basically recording they're all premiere recordings so none of the pieces had been re recorded previously mm -hmm. and uh, yeah so that was that was a really great project I had a fantastic time doing I got to meet some uh, really interesting people got to work with some really great people and it also I'll, I'll plug this as if you have the option do it because it automatically then serves as a you know in your a piece of material you can use going forward as a professional you know artist in whatever form you decide to go but that the past two years it, I, it was really when I kind of came out as as non-binary and I mean, really, that, that recital, speaking of that recital, was the first time I had ever made a public statement about that. Uh, so I wanted to, in, this, in a very similar way to my dissertation, uh, celebrate and bring forward some queer composers that may be underrepresented in whatever way. So uh, nothing against... Um, cis gay men, but I, I did not choose any composer or any p works by that population simply because in the music world, I don't find them to be as underrepresented as other aspects of the queer community. So my focus really, it was, uh, I focused really on non-binary trans composers and put together the recital, found some really interesting pieces. I was I was really thrilled at the music that kind of came that, that I received as suggestions. I actually put out like just a couple posts in a couple Facebook groups that I'm in um, that that's where actually where I found most of the music. Mm. And so I decided to do I put on this recital. It uh, it went great. Um, I actually then ended up applying for uh, it's called a, it's a research development grant. It's a ETSU grant on campus. Uh, applied for one of those last year and um, to basically further that research. So and I was actually, I received one of the grants, which was awesome. So I got the grant. Um, I, I was supposed to be doing that project this past year, but due to a number of different circumstances, it couldn't go forward as I had planned. So actually I'm filing for an extension to do the work this next year, but that I'm looking at, uh, I'm, will be me and some, a group of students will be interviewing queer composers on their experience and um, about their music, and then also, again, commissioning two to three new works and doing a new recording project at the end of about a year from now. So that's kind of where that came from. I, I love that. I Like, that um, is what we need. Uh, and especially, I'm so glad that you talked about, you know, queer voices that is not just cis gay men, because in, even though in our field, uh, that I would have to say, like, it's a voice that that is not common, but it is not, you know, completely like behind six closed doors. So like, it is not one of those things. So I'm right. so glad that you focused on that. Um, and I'm glad that you are continuing your research because one of the first questions I had when I found out about this is, 
where in the world did you look? How did you find this music? You know, who sure. are these people? Because like, I, you know, it's not mainstream and most people don't re really know where to look. Um, so funny, like you found it in Facebook groups. I mean, first of all, Facebook. <laughs> Facebook is about to have everything um, from groceries probably is going to be next. So everybody <laughs> yeah. to Facebook. So yep. that's just that's uh, very interesting that you found that. Um, I kind of want to go back just a little bit um, for what we were talking about earlier. So for me, um, as a, a, a gay teacher, a gay music teacher, um, I've had parents that have like come to the principal's office and was like I don't feel comfortable with my child being in this class so and I one thing for me what I love my principal he said how does that affect what the student is learning um and I remember when he told me that I was like oh my gosh like I love you so much like you're amazing <laughs> and Lauren had a question she wanted to know like for in your situation, what was what are the administrations doing about it? What are other faculty members, you know, doing about it for helping you with recruiting and things like that? Do you have that support behind you? Sure. I mean, first of all, I will say I think those sort of complaints, and I assume you're in like like a middle school or a high school. Yeah, I think two twelve. Yes. Okay, so that take that's a different beast right in some ways it's much more challenging yeah in a lot yeah. in most ways be, simply because the your students are minors and they're still very much under the hand of their parents so right. that's that i i don't envy you there at <laughs> all um i mean at etsu i i do have i have i've support especially from my brass colleagues mm -hmm. um they're wonderful and you know, I don't it's, I don't really have, though, like I would say, like overt support from like the administration. Um, it kind of it's one of those things where. My, my brass colleagues will, I suppose, try and in a in a gentle way, like squash any sort of notions that people may have. But I think honestly, the most effective way I've found to to for a lack of a better way of putting it to change people's minds is I every time I show up anywhere I am kind I am easy to work with I am just normal and you know just try and put I'm a good teacher I'm a good performer so I, I show exactly who I am and my hope is that everything that I am as a musician and person will eventually overshadow whatever sort of evil premonition <laughs> they yeah. think I might be bringing to their, you know, in front of their students. Yeah. And that and that really, as, as you were saying, like my my personal life or what I do, you know, at home. And that's the other thing I think. And that's the thing with, uh, you know, I mentioned this with the women's composers. It's true with the current project I'm working on, like it's, it kind of comes down to for me that like representation matters. And I really feel that also is true in even my own teaching. So just being there as a, repre a representative or representation for these, whether it's high school students or my college students to see like, this is, this is okay. This is normal. Yes. And this, this is a, like, there's nothing wrong with who you are or with and showing you know the students that come in that are not part of the queer community or are not part of an underrepresented population 
that who they are is perfectly okay and it's welcome and um yeah just kind of creating space for you know anybody that that wants to be here mm -hmm. so i don't think mm -hmm. like representation matters i don't and i feel like recently people take that word or, or that phrase just like some people might take diversity where it's used so much and it is kind of been watered down but representation really does matter um yeah and like for you and, and at uh east tennessee it's just like i love that you were there because in east tennessee which i'm from georgia so i'm literally right down and you I know, know. <laughs> yes i know like we know so you being there is just like oh my gosh here's a person that we identify in like the same community they're here thriving so i can too exactly and, and i really really love that and i've actually had students of my own who've actually you know come out to me and and it's just like you know i feel comfortable telling you this and everything and i'm just like wow like now mm -hmm. I, I really now i feel um where representation does matter just me being here exactly allows these students to understand you can do it i have done it yep. you can do it and people before me after me we all belong here and that is what matters the most yeah no, that's so, yeah. a great point thank you for yeah, thank yeah. you for staying staying there because i know some people would have probably like uh, yeah. gone <laughs> gone by now and that's honestly like that was a that's a conversation especially recently it's been i don't know how much you follow i mean it it's not just happening in Tennessee, but legislature in Tennessee is not friendly right now. Um, and I'm and, currently in Florida and don't say. Oh, yeah. Oh, you. Yeah, I, OK, yeah. You're in Florida. You yeah, yeah, know exactly I'm what I'm talking Florida about. Right now. Yeah, I'm teaching in Florida. So, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you get it. And right. I it it's like it's one of those things where we talk about like, OK, is this really where we want to be? Is this where we want to be raising our kids? And right. it does come back to every time, though, like. No, it is important that we're here. Like, I, I think the only time we'd ever consider leaving is if it actually just got physically unsafe for us to be here. But shy of that, like, yeah, like it, it, I think for both my wife and I to, to be here for that purpose. And I like, that is amazing to have like not like your um y'all are creating like this little pocket within your studio that people can sort of like go to and they're going to see this um representation is a big thing that y'all were just talking about everybody talks about diversity as anthony just said especially with repertoire like now yeah. it's like almost checkbox like okay we're gonna check this one check this yep. one we're still gonna throw it in the february march kind of realm but we're gonna check it <laughs> the whole year program yep like when I was like, I was looking back because my big thing is if we don't look back at what we did wrong, we can't move forward. So I was looking back at like what I programmed when I was coaching some quintets at high school level. So all like die bang a sanga leader, scared right. stuff. Like, we grew up on um, playing right when we first got in quintet, and all the guests I brought in yeah. were like me. And I'm like, cool. So I failed. Now let me do better. So next year I'm going to go coach some quintets again, and I think. 80% of the music is living composers, 40% is women, and 20 out of those, like, out of that 80, 20% is of the LGBTQ 
community. Great. And I made a really big point, not because of check boxes, like I want to expose these kids to this because they're not exposed to it. It's not stuff talked about in this region of Georgia. Um, also, the guest I'm going to bring in, like Anthony is going to be one of my guests. This school is milk. Like they don't, they don't like, <laughs> Anthony, yeah, and so like bringing Anthony and bringing other people in at the high, like college level. Sure. Um, Cause we need to expose and represent, like show these, okay, I have one kid in the back who's always on their phone. How can I get them engaged? What is it about this? That they're not engaged about cause they play their instrument fine. They enjoy it, but there's something that's not clicking completely. And it's on my part out what it is sure presentation is a huge part um of that sorry i was looking at my phone to see what lauren said um (laughs) um, yeah no that is i'm i'm glad we brought that up Mm. and for in tennessee and this is east tennessee where is that look like the city (laughs) that it's in okay so we're in uh it's it's called johnson city uh yeah so Johnson City is part of a Tri-Cities, so so there's Johnson City, Kingsport, and Bristol, and Bristol's mostly known for it's, it's like, it's got a motor speedway. Yeah, you got it, Michael. Yep, (laughs) the racetrack. Um, Yep, so yeah, it's it's part of a Tri-Cities. The the Johnson City itself is, that's where ETSU is, and it's it's exploding in terms of population right now. It's, when I first moved here, again, that was like eight or nine years ago, it was, I think, 60,000, and now we're at like 85. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the population's exploding, the downtown's being revitalized, Mm -hmm. there's new businesses moving in. I, I tend to, I think this is because I moved from Madison, Wisconsin, but I, I, I was, I monitored like how developed uh, Johnson City was based on how many breweries were in the town. Because when I got here, there were zero and and now there's like six. So yeah, it's, it's completely different. And, and like I said, it's, it's a cool place to live. We live in the historic neighborhood, which kind of butts up to the university and also to downtown. So yeah, 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 but it's far Northeast corner of Tennessee, really close to North Carolina. Because I think now this is some years ago, but I believe East Tennessee is act well maybe still in the same conference as Kennesaw. We all went to Kennesaw, yep, yep. and I remember the football team because yes. we were in the marching band. So yep. that, I remember East Tennessee. I remember. Well, and here's the thing about the uh, East Tennessee State football team is that was rekindled, restarted since I've been here. So uh-huh. you probably because I remember I remember when ETSU played. Kennesaw like the like the first time and they got slaughtered um because the team is you know I think now about six old five or six years old it's it's really new and that's also when they brought back marching band here so um you know um actually that's how old Kennesaw's football team is too because um we we me and Michael were in marching band the 2016 year and 2015 was the first year of Kennesaw State. Yeah, then you guys did bring it back right around the same time. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I love marching band, but I just, for me, marching band, I like the competitive nature of it. That's just me, because my all my family is sports, aka sure. military. So competitiveness was a big part of growing up. So like when marching band was kind of like, oh, we're here for this football game, I was like, I just want to watch the football game. Then I don't want to play it <laughs> on the field. What? I don't get bored. Yeah. I want to do one thing or the other. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> 
but it was um I, I remember the school and so you in Madison um completely different I would say probably with mindset and everything and then you every single way yeah completely every different. single way <laughs> it's completely different and then you move down to the south I mean we there's pockets like if you I think if you would have moved to Atlanta it would have been like completely different or maybe Nashville I hear Nashville is like a great city too um, or in like Asheville Asheville yeah. North Carolina is yeah yeah that's very much like Madison yeah yep. so when you for all of the people who are graduating either with a master's or their doctor degree or bachelor's degree that is thinking about moving to sure. all these different places what are some advice uh you would give to them um just to think about some things Sure. I, yeah, when I graduated from the University of Wisconsin with my doctorate, I, I really lucked out in that um, I it was the March before I graduated. I had applied for the job here and I got the job. So I never had the period of time of like, oh, God, I have this degree and I have nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, because basically I finished my degree and I moved down here. I moved down here having never heard of Johnson City. I didn't even know, like, I knew Tennessee was like the long state in the middle of the country, but I had no understanding of where I was moving to. And, you know, when I moved down here, it, it was a it was a huge culture shock. This is not like the Midwest, you know, and it, it, just little things. And I joke about this now, like, you know, driving. People mm -hmm. drive slower, you know, they're, they take their time, they go the speed limit. Um, you know, going into a grocery store, people want to chat with you, like, you oh, know, yeah. at the checkout, Southern people want to have a con. Yeah, they want to have a conversation. And I'm like, what What are you doing? Like, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I don't know you. But, you know, and I, I but I think after living down here for a little while, I've, I've almost I've come to really almost cherish that. I think it's, it is a, I say slower way of living. I don't mean that in like a dumbed down way. It's just like the pace of life is it, I think it appreciates life a little bit more. And I've really come to, as I said, you know, cherish that and respect that. But so honestly, my biggest piece of advice is if you're moving somewhere new, be open to that area, you know, don't make assumptions about people. Um, you know, there's the whole like, and I, I remember this, it, it, it like sounds, feels terrible saying this now, but like when I moved down here, you know, when you're in the Midwest, when you hear people with Southern accents, like I would never have gone to a doctor that had a Southern accent. And that's, it feels again, terrible to say now. I, sorry. I mean, it's nothing. And again, it's nothing against anybody. Like, cause I mean, look, yeah. all my doctors have Southern accents now, yeah. like, right. and it doesn't mean anything, but it really shows you like where I, like I had some serious, you know, biases that I had was definitely not aware of. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I still do in, in certain areas, but so basically, yeah, just be open to where you're going to, you know, do, I mean, if you can do a little research about where you're moving to, but I think more so be open to the people, be open to experiences and realize that there's multiple ways to do one thing and that your way may not be the best way. <laughs> so That's true. I, you know, I will have to say, even growing up in the South, um, when I hear a thick Southern accent, I, so, 
I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah. Michael's Southern accent comes out sometimes very strong, especially when he's watching football. So like, <laughs> it gets, and I'm just like, Mm-mm. like, because in my head, it, it just sounds very, very redneck kind of thing. And I'm sure. just like, yep, that's, I gotta go. I gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. So yeah, I look, I get it. I get it. Okay. But like, I'm so glad that you said, just be open to it. Um, I moved from, yeah. I moved from Georgia to Florida, to Central Florida. Um, and I, I had a bias about everybody in Central Florida. I just thought they were Disney freaks, which they are. They are. Let's not get that wrong. <laughs> but however, it is way more homey and, and friendlier than I than I had thought about. So sure. yeah, just be open. Just be open to it. Um, yeah. I'll chime in on this because I, of course, kind of saw... And then now I'm up here in Michigan at Kalamazoo at Western Michigan University. Right. Um, it was a change of pace, just like Madison to Johnson. Like I, Lauren and Anthony can test. I was always on the go. I was looking for that check. That ne- where's the next check? What are we doing next? Always in my car. And then up here, I was like, wait, I can sit on my couch for <laughs> time and open a bottle of wine. <laughs> Oh, and COVID also helped with that. And it's been cool. People people drive the speed limit up here, but that's where the people drive the speed limit there. Me and Anthony made that face. We're like speed limit in the South. It's like 10 See, plus. But yeah. here's the thing. You guys were outside of Atlanta. Like, again, that's a different, like, that's and so yeah. maybe it's less so the, the, you know, North to South and more so the politan to, and it's not rural here, you know, we're still a town of almost 70,000 people, but yeah. it's not 400,000 people exactly. or, you know, exactly. a couple yeah. million. So we got, we got yeah. a race. It's like another Bristol Speedway on that 285. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause Atlanta, it is, oh. it's moving. It is very, very moving. Um, mm-hmm. And for, I'm pretty sure there, everybody, you know, drives the sweet lemon. They're very nice. They say everything. Um, <laughs> So uh, one of our last questions um, is actually from Lauren. Um, she says, what other projects and performances um, that you have coming up um, and how can people follow your journey? Sure. Okay, so coming up, uh, my well, first of all, my, my brass quintet, the Marari Brass Quintet, is finally this spring starting to become more active again. We hadn't seen each other in two years, and um, we did a podcast, actually. Um, if you want to check out a different podcast, Marari <laughs> Unmuted is, we do not cover the same subjects, so, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so this is, uh, we're finally back together. We did a, a residency at a university. University earlier this spring, and we have a, a couple performances coming up in Washington State, uh, and actually just like two weeks. I keep forgetting how quickly that's coming up. So we have that coming up, and then my the next big thing I have personally is I'm doing a recital. I'm a guest artist, so I'm doing a recital and a master class at the International Women's Brass Conference in um, Denton at IWB at uh, at North Texas. There we go. Words. I'll be there. You're gonna be I'll there. Awesome. There. Yeah. So I'm doing a recital. That's again. It's it's all queer musicians or queer composers. Excuse me. So uh, a piece. A lot. Of, some of it's very similar to what I did on the recital last year. But there's going to be um, uh, a new commission that I I did. I commi- commissioned it last year, a year ago, right now, and recorded it for a virtual 2B euphonium conference but it'll be the first time i'll play it live it's by a composer 
in England named uh, Florence Maunders, and it's for tuba and electric guitar. So it's it's different. It's really cool, actually. So yeah, that should be a fun recital. Um, and doing, I think I'm doing the, there's like a, a queer uh, talk, queer brass talk at some point that I was asked to do with a couple other musicians as well. So, and then some sort of master class at some point. So that's the next big thing there. And then again, like my upcoming projects really are, they revolve around this grant project that I was describing before. So. And then I think the last question is, um, before you head out, um, do you have any advice for young queer musicians and students trying to navigate the field and just life in general? Oof. Navigating the field. Uh, I think young musicians, the best thing you can do are find your, I don't know if role models is the right word, but find people that you can look up to and connect with, especially if you maybe don't have that support system at home. Navigating life is considerably harder. It can be anyways, especially I know a lot of uh, young queer people around here. You know, I think, you know, be true to yourself. Again, find a support system. I think that can't like be said enough. Like, if you don't have support at home, make sure that you are finding support at school or in your community or f even farther out, you know, reach out to people like reach out. I'm sure any any of you would be willing to, you know, receive an email from somebody, as would I. So, okay. you know, just I think the knowledge that you're not alone and that things do get easier if they're potentially difficult now. So. Thank well, you. Thank you so much because yeah, I think you know it. That has to be heard, um, and I would say the topic that has really been for this episode is representation matters. Um, we are here, yeah. we belong here, um, and so does anybody watching or listening. You belong in this field, here, doing what you love to do as much as anybody else. Yeah. So thank Great. you so much for being here. Well, thank you. Thank yep. you so much for being thank here. You all. We'll put links and all stuff down below for everybody. And Great. we'll see you next time, Relative Pitch. See y'all. Have a great. Oh my gosh, it's May, y'all. Oh my gosh, I forgot to say it. It's May. Oh my gosh. All right. First of all, we're almost done. So, okay. <laughs> but see y'all later.